Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia Meets World, we're back. This week's a little bit different in honor of Neil's favorite holiday, Halloween. We're going to extend it since it happened this week. We're just going to have a replay of last year's Halloween episode on the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. For some of y'all that didn't listen or don't remember, Appalachia, you know, it has a history of supernatural myths and cryptids, some of which we talked about last week. We did not mention the Lunatic Asylum, but it is one of those areas. This is in Weston, West Virginia, one of those areas in Appalachia that's leveraging the local lore, the local history, the local legends and supernatural to provide an opportunity year round in this location, boosting tourism and providing opportunity, opportunity for the area. So we just wanted to replay it, replay it. Like I said, this is a little bit different episode this week. We're not going to have an app biz. We're not going to have any app news. Just going to replay last year's episode and hope you guys enjoy. So till next time, peace. All right, on the special Halloween episode tonight, we have... Bethany Cutright, a longtime Appalachian. She's with the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. It was formerly known as the Western State Hospital and was constructed between 1858 and 1881 and first housed patients in 1864. It's the largest hand-cut stone building in North America and the second largest in the world behind the Kremlin. At its peak, it held 2,400 patients in the 1950s before it closed in 1994 and has been one of the most haunting places in all of West Virginia, if not all of Appalachia. Condé Nast even lists it as one of the most haunting places in America. So Bethany, we wanna thank you for being on the show. We appreciate you uh, taking the time. I'm, I'm glad to be here to talk about it. I guess just let the listeners know, you know, just what is the background of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum? Well, it, it when it opened, it was one of many state hospitals across the country. The understanding of mental illness and the people who 
who lived every day with it was so much more restricted than it is now. It was essentially what we knew to do to help people back then. So these massive institutions were built, people with every range of mental illness, and sometimes not even mental illness, sometimes it was physical illness that was just not understood, were sent to these places to live. In the early years, it was truly noble goals. Our building was built on the Kirkbride plan, and there were several in Appalachia. Um, Now I believe there's only a few remaining, and we're one of the few in the Appalachian region that still stands. Um, And the Kirkbride plan basically was that the building itself was part of the cure. Uh, Dr. Kirkbride believed that the long rambling wards provided for a tremendous amount of sunshine and fresh air. That was important to the healing. The grounds were to be well-kept with flowers and gardens and greenhouses. Having a self-sustaining farm was part of the Kirkbride plan. It was part of the goal to give the patients jobs if they were able, and if they weren't able to hold jobs like on the farm or with the, the sewing and different things, they would at least have plenty of activities to do. A mind was not able to be bored, basically. They would be able to focus on healing. Now we know a lot of that can help someone but it's obviously not going to be a cure but that's why these buildings were built like that it did serve i guess about 130 years for treating all ranges of mental illness and once it closed it it basically sat empty until it was purchased by a private party and that was in 2007 yeah it was august of 2007 and he went to the courthouse steps and there was just a few people there to bid and he walked away the proud owner of a National Historic Landmark and over 300 acres. Wow, so yeah, I was just gonna ask that. So I mentioned how big the building was, but it sits on 300 acres, right? Yeah, and that's just a part of the original farmland. The other half of the farm is actually the home to the current mental health facility, William Sharp Hospital. So it's just over the hill from us. And so in this time period, I guess it has committed or or had thousands of patients, of which some died within the hospital, Uh, but it also housed the the criminally insane as well. That is correct. There is a building on site that is called the forensics unit, but that unit was also housed within the main building at different points in time. And essentially, anyone who was deemed unable to be held for trial due to their mental health, they were deemed guilty by insanity. They didn't want to house them with general population if they could get, you know, if they didn't have to. So that's how those units were originally developed. In more recent history, if you go through and will read some court cases, there was a lot of people who were sent to Weston while they were undergoing psychiatric evaluation, so before they would go to trial. So that's kind of interesting to stumble across those case notes from time to time. With the long history, obviously with the history of mental illness, there were certain types of treatment that that aren't lawful anymore, but I imagine there were lobotomies, shock therapies that were performed within, within the hospital? Um, absolutely, and with its long history, it saw pretty much the entire evolution of mental health care that have gotten us to where we are today. When it first opened in 1864, there weren't medications. We actually went to the state archives and we're going through historic receipts and expenses. So it's basically like what today we would send to the accountant at the state archives. And it's like where they were buying barrels of whiskey because it was something that they could use 
as a treatment if necessary. I really believe that even the things we see is so barbaric by today's standards, they were just looking for ways to help with the resources they had. Right. You, you know, I, I mentioned it being such a haunting place. It's a massive place, but also, you know, with the history, you, you know, the, the building, the grounds have been a focus on several TV shows, but have there been documented sightings of paranormal activity at the site? Absolutely. Um, I actually started my first job when I came on board the asylum was as a ghost hunt tour guide. So I, I studied Appalachian history, folklore, museum archiving in college. So this was cool. like my job. Finally get to use it. And <laughs> I was especially drawn to like learning the history and the stories to share with guests. And I, it didn't take long for me to have a few encounters that I couldn't quite explain. Really? Absolutely. And I think just about anybody who works there or has worked there would probably say about the same thing. Is there one in particular? Most of my experiences have been unexplained sounds and voices. Many years ago, before we had museum rooms down in Ward A, that's where the breaker boxes were. We're getting ready to open for the day for historic tours, and there was just two of us there at the time, and none of the lights in the main hallway would come on. And our tour manager at the time had actually worked there when it was opened. And so she was a little older. I didn't want to make her walk all the way down there. I said, oh, I'll go flip the breakers. So I walk down and I go into the room and I flip them all. And I talk to myself because I just always do. <laughs> and I said, I wonder if that worked. And right behind me, nope. No so way. I turned around. There's Sue's not there. So I walk back out into the hallway of the ward. No one's there. And I go back to the tour office and there sits Sue. I said, well, I guess it didn't work. She goes, no, it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> well, I guess they were right. Oh my gosh. Have you, I know you have ghost tours, you have historic tours and we want to get into that, but have you ever personally spent the night at the hospital? Uh, yeah, I used to do it all the time. Not sleeping. Our ghost hunts and overnight hunts are not for sleeping. You stay up the whole night and investigate. So it's, it's not like a we don't have a bed and breakfast, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the tours then. What exactly do you have for guests um, that want to come to the asylum and, and check it out? I mentioned the historic tours with the ghost tours, but what, what exactly does that consist of? For anyone who's interested in the paranormal, they can come and do a daytime paranormal tour. That's a walk-in tour, and you'll hear all the most exciting stories that relate to the ghost and the unexplained. And that's an easy $35, 90-minute uh, tour. If you want to come at night, uh, we have the two-hour paranormal tour. So then you get to go through and hear those stories in the dark. And for someone who really wants to immerse themselves in the possibilities of paranormal, the overnight ghost hunt is the way to go. And that's overnight eight hours of investigating. So we will split up everybody into smaller groups of 10. Everyone has an experienced paranormal investigator to lead them through. So like one group will start on the first floor. You'll go through, hear some of the stories, a little bit of the information that pertains to that area. And then you're free to explore that floor with you or your team until a designated time, then you rotate. So each group gets a chance to explore each floor with a smaller group. So that way you don't have contamination of a lot of people interfering with your evidence. 
think if you're going to do it, you have to do it overnight. I think that's the only way to go. It's definitely something that is an experience <laughs> you won't forget. <laughs> so you can do it self-guided then? Well, it's, it's not really self-guided. The ghost hunt, you have the most freedom, if that makes sense. Okay. There are still there is still a designated guide for each group, and that and that's really a safety precaution as well because it's a really old building, and we do want to make sure that everyone has a safe experience, or else they don't want to come back. <laughs> yeah, uh, are there any specific stories of expatients or stories of sightings that the, the asylum has over the years? Well, one interesting thing that has come up. Because I also, the historic side of things is still very important to me. So I help with the research as much as I can. And a lot of our investigators would come to us and say that they were making contact with a woman named Jane. In this one area of the hospital. And it was unrelated groups of investigators coming back with the same name in the same area. Sure enough, a couple years later, we're doing some research. And there is a detailed account of a patient in that area named Jane who had unfortunately taken her own life and it was just instant goosebumps, cold chills. You're like, oh my gosh, that was Jane. That was this Jane she was trying to reach out. So is it a coincidence? Maybe. But when you can tie historic events or people that really happened to some of these things people are coming back to, it's, it's absolutely amazing. That is wild. The building itself or the asylum, it's been focused on shows like Ghost Hunters and things like that. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, I've honestly lost count of how many different uh, paranormal investigating TV shows have come. So that's always neat when they come. I know we talked about this earlier, but it was a major economic driver for the community before it closed. Is that correct? It employed quite a, quite a bit of people? It really was. When, it, when construction began in 1858, Weston was not even a part of West Virginia. It was still part of Virginia at that point. West Virginia didn't exist. Interesting. And Weston was not, I mean, it's not a huge booming town right now, but it was pretty rural. So bringing the hospital there was bringing in a lot of jobs, a lot of traffic. And it also sits right on the Staunton to Parkersburg Turnpike, which was a huge people mover during the Civil War. So it brought people to Weston, kept people in Weston. And then right up until it closed in 1994, one of the largest employers in Lewis County, next to the glass industry. When it was bought in 2007, after it sat vacant for so long, there was a, probably a large amount of preservation that had to be done on the building. The building suffered tremendously in those years of neglect. Um, nobody really wanted the building, unfortunately. I think the state tried, they offered it to the city of Weston for a dollar. I'm not sure if that's factual, but that's kind of Lewis County urban legend. <laughs> it was such a massive undertaking that it was intimidating. And the longer it sat, the more of a project it became. So once it was purchased privately, the first steps were secure the roof, go through, secure the, the facility in general, just to keep people out, because it had become quite a a spot for mischievous teens to break into, urban explorers, even local law enforcement convinced security that they had permission to do tactical maneuvers inside and had an epic paintball battle, unfortunately. <laughs> so there's there's still signs of that that have 
you know, we've been cleaning up slowly as the years go by. Um, some buildings could not be saved. The cafeteria building had to be demolished that connected to the main building. Going back to the tours, are there specific buildings that are only operational for the tours? Well, our, the former tuberculosis unit that also housed other demographics of patients through the years currently is only available for our haunted house. Um, that way the props and the scares and all of the fake spooky stuff all stays in one contained building. And he works on that all year round to really ensure a truly terrifying experience for that. The main building, we do the ghost hunts, the historic tours. We have an absolutely amazing museum area that has been all these years in the making with our research. It takes you a little bit deeper into all the stuff you learn on tour. There's so many buildings. The medical building basically served as the hospital for the hospital. So if you were a patient and you needed your appendix taken out, they would take you to the medical center building. You would have your surgery and recover before you went back to your room. Briefly mentioned earlier, I think the forensics unit so mm. that was built to be inescapable wasn't true. You can learn about that on the criminally insane tour if you like to take that one. The women's auxiliary building, we've recently op opened it up for flashlight tours. It's a very old building. It also suffered a lot of damage, but it's probably one of the sturdiest structurally, if that makes sense. So a lot of the windows came out, but the walls are unbelievably stable. So we put a lot of years into cleaning that up and making it available for exploration as well. That's great. And it's a national historic landmark. It absolutely is. Can't remember the exact year it went on the registry. I want to say 1995. It's an absolutely beautiful building. The architecture is amazing. I don't know, sometimes I will go outside and sit by the fountain and just look at it. When you're there every day, you kind of take advantage, you know, take for granted how big it is till you step back and look at it. It really is something. Yeah, I don't know if you could combine the two words, but I imagine beautifully haunting building. I think that's perfect, yes. <laughs> what do you have to, when you when you do the tours, when you do the overnight, do you have to sign a waiver? Um, any guest does have to sign a waiver of liability when they visit. And do you want to let our listeners know just where they can find, uh, whether it be online or in person, where they can find the, the asylum and um, how they can access the tours and, and where they can find information. Absolutely. A great resource for information about visiting the asylum would be our website. And that's www.talawv.com. Or if you're passing through West Virginia on I-79, we're only three miles off of the interstate at exit 99. It's a good place to get out and stretch your legs and just take in the beauty if nothing else. Um, you can stop in and see us. We're open six days a week for walk-in tours starting in April and running through the middle of November. Nice. And um, you, you mentioned earlier the haunted house. So how long does that run? Obviously, this is a perfect time to visit a haunted house, but how long does that run and when can people go and check that out? This year, our haunted house closes on October 30th. Um, those tours run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. And we start selling tickets at 6 p.m. and start taking people through as soon as it gets dark. And how long is the haunted house? Like, how long does it take to go through it? Depends on how fast you move when you're scared, but usually <laughs> about 30. 
That is fantastic. We we uh you know we appreciate your time obviously but is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about the asylum or what they can do basically every tour we we give every special event we hold all those dollars are going back into the preservation and restoration of the building it's truly a preservation through tourism venture that we're doing and we've welcomed people from every state in the united states just about every year we've been open. I think we've had visitors from over 25 different countries. Wow. And being able to share, be it the history or the possibilities of paranormal with those people is is the true focus of what we're doing. So I hope more people can stop and learn a little bit. Not only, obviously, a beautiful building, some paranormal activity, but it's a great asset for the community uh, in, a, in and of itself in Westing. It is. We are centrally located in the town of Weston, so anytime we can have a community open event, like our Fall Fest, that's family friendly with vendors and activities and different things to do. Uh, We have an Easter egg hunt every year. I think we did 10,000 eggs last year on our massive front lawn. But the hospital was an important part in the community when it was open too, so carrying that on is important to us as well. Fantastic. Again, thank you so much. I want to to ask you one last question. What are you going to be for Halloween? Well, my husband and I were just discussing this and we're not sure yet. I think last year we were the purple team from Dodgeball. Nice. Before that, Napoleon, Dynamite, and Deb. So we're going to try to do something fun. Nice, nice. Well, we'll have to get you back on and and find out what you're going to be. But again, thank you so much for the time, for talking about this facility. We're talking about the paranormal activity and just the sheer hauntingness. Thank you for showing an interest in it, and I hope you can visit soon.